Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Let's get in it. How you can live worry-free how you can be set free from what I call the sin of worry. Worrying and doubting, um, not in my opinion, biblically is actually listed as a sin. Now that might be the first time that you ever hear it said that way. You might have never heard worrying is a sin. That you know, And you've, you've done it and not felt guilty for it. Or maybe you felt guilty for it but thought it was just your own guilty conscience. No, I, I strongly believe and I have scriptures that we're going to read today that back it up that worrying is actually a sin. What is sin? Well, we got to go back to the root word of sin in the Greek, which is harmatia. The word harmatia in the Greek literally means, so when Paul talked about sin, he wrote harmatia. When you study that word, it literally means, it's like an illustrative picture that Paul, that the, the Greek word paints, and it has a, a, imagine like a target. Imagine there being a target 50 yards from, from you, and you have a bow and arrow. And only the bullseye gets the prize. Anything outside of the bullseye is, uh, is called harmatia, which is sin. And so when you pull it back, you miss the bullseye by just a little, but you still were off target. That's what the word harmatia is. It's missing the bullseye. It's missing the perfect target. It's missing God's perfect order for living for us. And so when I talk about worry being a sin... And that's where people, you know, people have a light view of sin. There's a lot of people who have a very light view of sin. They think sin is just, well, I don't commit adultery. Or I, 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 don't, I don't murder anybody. Or I haven't stolen anything. And so that's like their, their only view of sin. That's, that's their standard of God's holiness. Well, I'm a good person. I've never committed adultery. I'm faithful to my wife. I've never killed anybody. So I'm a good person. Well, when you actually study God's standard of holiness and God's view of what sin is and then compare it to what most people think is holiness and most people think is sin or harmatia missing the mark there is a huge difference there's a huge difference and so when 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 we're living in life our objective our mission is not to line up with what we what man's standard for holiness is but what God's standard for holiness is and part of God's standard for holiness and right living and hitting the target is is living in faith and that means not necessarily the absent of the absence of ever worrying again but knowing how to take those worrisome thoughts casting them down and then replacing them with bible thoughts and truthful thinking and so a worry is essentially if we're going to go through this scripturally worry is essentially a, a sinful thing. And that might seem harsh for a lot of people to hear, but it's just the way God's done it. You know, you study in Philippians 4, 6, Paul said we are to be anxious for nothing. We're to be anxious for nothing. You know, when Paul said you're not to commit adultery, or Paul said that anybody who practices uh, witchcraft or outbursts of wrath and all those are not worthy of the kingdom of God. Those two uh, scriptures are weighed the same. You can't choose one scripture to be 
uh, to carry more weight than the other. The same weight on the scripture that Paul wrote that states we're not to have outbursts of wrath, that we're to be angry but sin not, because if you sin, you displease God. That same weight of scripture is on be anxious for nothing. That same, that same uh, uh, um, admonishing and that same exhortation carries the same weight. That we are to not just not have outbursts of wrath, not go around sleeping with other people's spouses and all that. But also, the scripture's very clear, we are to be anxious for nothing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, that, uh, Matthew chapter 6, that we are not to worry about anything. So the same Jesus that said, you, you should pray, the same Jesus that said that you should be uh, kind to your neighbors. The same Jesus that said, this is the main commandment, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Uh, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That same Jesus also said, don't worry about anything. Don't worry. It's not, oh, that was a suggestion. The other things were commands. No, they are all equally seen as commandments. It's a commandment. You're not to worry about anything. Why is worry so offensive to God? Why is worry such a, 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 an offense to, the, to the, the core of who God is? Well, I wrote down four reasons why worry uh, offends God. Or that you can, another way we can say this is this is worry is essentially rooted in these four things. So worry is essentially rooted in the following four things. This is where worry stems forth from. This is the root of all worry. Number one, worry is doubting God's goodness. You remember in Mark chapter four when the disciples were in the boat and the storms began to come and the water began to fill the boat and the disciple, Jesus was sleeping in the stern, but the disciples began to rise up and they started to run helter-skelter, worried, and they came to Jesus and said, how are you still sleeping? Don't you care that we're perishing? So their worry was rooted in the, this unscriptural thought and this unscriptural lie, essentially, that they thought God was not caring about them perishing, that God didn't care for them, that God... God's goodness did not expand to the point where he actually cared about them surviving this natural disaster. So when they were worried, Jesus pinpointed it. He said, how is it that you have no faith? Their lack of faith was rooted in the fact that they, did, they doubted God's goodness. They doubted God's intentions. They doubted God's motivation. They, got, they, touted God, they doubted God's uh, intent for their life. They weren't secure in the fact and in the truth of God's word that God's plans for his people is not to destroy them. It's not to kill them. It's not to make life a living hell. Their, his plan is to make people have a future, a hope. The Bible says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. Believe in the Lord your God. Ye shall be established, the Bible says. Believe in his prophets and ye shall prosper. God's plans for you are not to harm or destroy you. God is a good God and he's got good things prepared for you. The Bible says that you are his workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good things that he has prepared for you. 
So when the devil sneaks in and starts to say, the reason this is happening right now is because God doesn't care for you, it produces worry, it produces anxiety, and that only in turn, it actually cuts you off from the source of the only one who can help you, which is God. And so worry, number one, is rooted in people's doubt of God's goodness. I want to remind you, Psalm 100 says that the Lord is good and his mercy, his truth, his faithfulness endures forever. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that the Lord repays the righteous with good. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, we are to give thanks unto the Lord for his wonderful goodness towards the children of men. Psalm 103, the Bible says, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, for he satisfies our mouth with what? With good things. God does not satisfy our mouths with bad things. That means God doesn't deliver or hand out bad things. Jesus said it this way if you ask God for a piece of bread which is useful for you he's certainly not going to give you a rock that is of no use for you if you ask God for a piece of fish which would be useful to nourish your body he's not going to give you a serpent or a scorpion that is harmful and has poison or hurt you if you ask God for something good he's not going to give you something evil James the brother of Jesus in the epistle of James he reiterates that in his own way and he says in James 1:17 brethren every good i want you to write that down in the comment section every good and perfect gift is from god james said every good and perfect gift is from god so when you don't fully believe that if you're not fully persuaded of that if you're not absolutely convinced of that you're going to be prone to worry you're going to be like Paul said in Ephesians 4 one who is tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine every wind of doctrine and I'm going to tell you something oftentimes oftentimes people doubt God's goodness not necessarily because of what the world is saying but because of some what some preachers are saying you know you go I remember a preacher saying, giving a story once, and it was a real story, that um, a, a person got saved in his meeting. She, uh, she got saved after she heard for the very first time that God is a good God. She never believed it because she had to bury her son years before having that encounter with God. And the priest that did the, the, the funeral actually told her and the entire congregation that God killed her son God took her son because there was a vacant place in his garden in heaven. And so he had to pluck the rose from the earth and put it in heaven because there was, God was gardening that day. I mean, you got to think of the level of stupidity and biblical illiteracy that has to be in a, in a minister that people see as an ambassador for God to actually voice that dumb statement. God was gardening one day and there was a plot of land that needed an extra rose. And so he plucked your son out and he said, well, you don't need him. So let me put him in heaven. How dumb do you have to be and still be able to breathe? At what point do you lose the ability to breathe uh, with how dumb you can be? It's amazing. 
And so that lady for years went out from that funeral service thinking God killed her son and was angry at God and was, was, was doubting God's in, uh, sincerity and God's goodness and God's, God's uh, intentions with her life. And for years she lived away from God, but then it took a preacher to tell her and he wasn't even directing it at her. He, he said, I was preaching when he was telling the story. He said, I was preaching that service. It was a regular revival night. And uh, I felt in my spirit to go off and say, you know, there's some people that, that preach funerals saying that God needed the rose out of your garden and, and, and put it into his garden in heaven. And they, they try and explain away why things happening by just blaming everything on God. And then he went on to say, the devil's the one to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. Well, she thought he was talking directly to her. She went to the back room after, after she got saved and said, can I give you a hug? And he said, sure. He said, for years I've hated God because I, what I was told, but tonight you expect from the Bible that it was the devil that targeted my family, that God's always been there to help me. God's always been there to, to secure uh, uh, to secure to secure my future and my destiny and that I was deceived. She realized at that point she had been deceived by the devil. The devil wants nothing more but to slap you in the head, break your legs, cr crap your whole life, destroy your family, back up, and when you look back to see who did it, he's just there pointing God and said he did it. That's the devil's plan. That's why Paul said we are not to be ignorant of his devices, of his schemes, lest you should be taken advantage of him and be taken captive of him or by him to do his will. And so when you doubt God's goodness, and I'm going to repeat it again, Oral Roberts used to say this all the time, God is a good God. The devil is a bad devil. If you've ever doubted that, if you've ever doubted God's intentions for your life, if you've ever doubted God's compassion for you and his willingness to help you, that he's not just able to do everything, but he's just, you know, he's some sadistic God in heaven that's just, though he's able to bail you out, he's holding off. Anybody that ever tells you that, any preacher that tells you that, that God's able to do everything, but we got, you know, ultimately, ultimately sometimes he just stays like a silent teacher in the background and just waits for, you know, he, he just waits just to wait to see how things pan out for your life. That's the devil speaking. God already made it very clear in his word. Call unto me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not of. God said, if you will ask me anything, I will do it. If you will seek, you'll find. If you'll knock, I'll open the door for you. The Bible says, I cried out to the Lord in my distress and he heard me and he took me out of the miry clay and put me on the rock to stay. Don't let any devil deceive you into thinking that God is evil or twisted or he's got some sadistic plan for your life. The Bible says it's the enemy that comes prowling like a lion seeking whom he may devour. But the Bible says God is able to establish you, to confirm you, and to perfect you to the end. So worry is essentially doubted, number one, in God, doubting God's goodness. Number two, in doubting God's integrity. Worry is rooted in doubting God's integrity. What do I mean by that? Doubting his character, doubting his nature, doubting his willingness to perform his word. So when people... 
When people read the Bible and they ha- they take mental assent to it in that they agree with its truth, they say, well, we understand all scriptures inspired, it's Bible truth, but it doesn't sink past their mind into their hearts. Remember, Jesus said, let these words sink deep down into your heart. So if it doesn't sink down past your mind into your heart, all it's going to be, it, it's only going to remain in, the, in the, the, the reason part of you. And the reason part of you can be manipulated either way based on your circumstances. When the word of God gets into your heart, there is this level of persuasion that comes in you that you know that you know that you know that God is not only able, but he has integrity and he will perform his word because he said, I will honor my word above even my own name. Do you know what that means? God will honor his word above his name. God's reputation is on the line when you start to believe his word. Because if you believe his word and you actually take action on his word and he backs off and doesn't do it, his reputation gets hit. His reputation, his credit is affected. His credit score is affected. That's why he said, I honor my word above my own name, above my own reputation, above, uh, above anything else. The Bible says in Luke 145, blessed is she who believed when the angel came and brought the message to Mary that she'd bear a son without any male intervention, that it would be uh, of the Holy Ghost. She said, how can it, how can it happen? He said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And that which shall be born of thee will be called the son of the most high God. Well, what did Mary say? I am your servant. Let it be to me as you have said, I believe it. And the angel said, blessed is she who believed for there shall be a performance of those things spoken to her by the Lord. So when you believe you're committing God's integrity to perform, when you believe God's word, you are committing God's integrity to perform. Let me say this very clearly. Worry is outward evidence of faith in the devil's lies. Worry is an outward evidence of faith, an inside faith of the devil's lies. What do I mean by that? Worry is believing, it stems forth from believing the devil's reports, the devil's lies, the doctor's reports, whatever, things that contradict the word of God. Worry is evidence of faith in the devil's lies. Whereas peace and joy is evidence of faith in God's truth. I'm going to say that one more time. Worry is an evidence of a faith that you have in the devil's lies. Whereas peace and joy is of evidence of a faith that you have in God's divine truth. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15 and 13, May the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy as you believe. So when you believe in God, peace and joy naturally are the byproduct of an inside faith uh, uh, for God's word. When you doubt God and you worry about your situation, you're going to have, you're, you're going to have, you're going to have an, an overflow of anxiety and of stress and of, pre- of pressure. That's why the Bible says, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
So when you pull back from God's word and you neglect spiritual disciplines like praying and getting into the presence of God daily, what ends up happening is because you're not in God's presence daily, you're not entitled to that fullness of joy that is reserved for only those who stay in God's presence. And then I'll move on a step further. The Bible says at his right hand are pleasures, not pressures. So when you're not when you don't keep the Lord ever at your right hand, like David said, the Lord I've kept ever at my right hand. And because of that, I shall never be shaken. When you don't keep the Lord at your right hand, when you're not standing firm and dwelling in the shelter of the Most High God, instead of pleasures filling your life, pressures begin to fill your life. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 91, he that dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the, sh the shadow of the Almighty. He will say of his God, you are my fortress, you are my refuge, you are my dwelling place, my God in whom I trust. Then David said, I will not, I will not be afraid of the terror by night. So when you don't dwell, when you don't stay in, a, in this, this attitude of prayer, when you're not connected to his word, remember Jesus said, if you have my word in you and abide in me, then you will bring forth much fruit. Part of that fruit is joy and peace. When you don't have his word in you, because you doubt his integrity to perform what he said he would do, what ends up happening is you lose, you lose that sense of peace. And fear begins to cripple you. And pressures begin to close in on you. And the spirit of heaviness begins to weigh in on you. It's all rooted in doubting his integrity to perform what he said. God is not a man that he should lie, the Bible says. What he said he will do, he will do. The Bible says what he declared, it shall come to pass. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, Every word that proceeds out of my mouth, it can never return void. It's going to accomplish the thing for which it was sent out to accomplish, and it will prosper wherein I send it. Get this mindset out of you that God is sometimes prone to being, uh, uh, being uh, non-truthful. The Bible says there are two certain things about God. Number one, he can never change. The Bible says he is immutable. It's one of the attributes of God. What does immutable mean? The immutability of God literally uh, is, is reference to his unchangeableness. He's not an up and down God. He's not happy one day and then ready to strike you dead the next day. The Bible says, give thanks unto the Lord for his everlasting love towards you. The Bible says his mercies are new every single morning. And great is his faithfulness. So number one, he's immutable. He's unchangeable. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord your God and I change not. I change not. He's not prone to changing. He's not like your boss that changes his mind like he changes his socks. He's not like your parents that told you they'd buy you a pony at seven and when you turn seven, you didn't get the pony because they changed their mind. God does not change his mind. What he said he will do, he will do. What he said he'd bring to pass, he'll bring to pass. That's right, Lucy. Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And you can take that to the bank and cash it. 
Number one, he's immutable. Number two, God cannot lie. He can't lie. It's against his nature to lie. He's called revelation. The Bible says when Jesus comes back, he's going to have a name that's called true and faithful. He's faithful and true. The Bible says in the book of Timothy, I think it's 2 Timothy, it says even if men are faithless, even if everybody around you has screwed you over time and time again, and now you have this complex about you that you can't trust anybody. You have this paranoia about people. And you know what? You shouldn't trust in men. Because the Bible says, cursed is he who puts his trust in man. Man can fail you. Man will fail you. Man is like an old cloak, the Bible says. It gets folded up and it's discarded, never to be brought back to memory again. The Bible says, even the most wealthy man, if he plans to help you, when he perishes or if he changes his mind, then his plans for you perish. But the Lord stands forever. His counsels to every generation. Generation. His word endures forever. The flowers can fade away. The grass will wither away. But the word of the Lord shall, shall endure forever. It's the incorruptible. It is the unchangeable. It is the undeniable. It is the ever-living word of God. And you can put your, all your money in that bank and it will never fail. It'll never fail. God cannot lie. God cannot lie. I want you to write that in the comment section. God cannot and will not lie. God cannot and will not lie. My mentor evangelist, Tiff Shuttlesworth, actually preaches a sermon called The Four Things God Can't Do. Because there are four things God simply can't do. And I hope I can just name them off by memory. But number one, God can't sin. It's impossible for God to sin. So people say God can do everything. No, there's actually four things God can't do. God cannot sin. He's holy. And he is always holy. He's thrice holy. He's holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty. Number two, God can't lie. He can't lie. He can't. Number three, God can't change. And uh, number four is escaping my attention. But there's four things God cannot do. And lying and changing are two of those things. Number three, worry is essentially rooted in doubting God's ability. So number one, doubting God's goodness. Number two, doubting God's integrity. Number three, doubting God's goodness. Uh, sorry, doubting God's ability. His power, his unlimited capacity. Now, not many people fit into this category because a lot of people, most people, even heathens, even people that are on the street that don't even go to church and, and uh, they would not make the rapture. Even they will say, well, if, if God exists, he can do everything. Even, you know, even they would never dare to say if there was a God, then he would have limitations. No, if he's God, he can do everything. Why is it that they have such this trust that if there was a God, that he'd be able to do everything? But then in the church... In the church, there's people that confess to believe in God, but they say things, well, you know, I know what God did for them, but this, this, what I'm going through is extra serious. There is no problem that has come on you such as is common to all men. But God is faithful and God is able to provide a way of escape. I mean, you want to talk about having your back pressed against the wall. 
You have a, a guy like Jehoshaphat that gets word that there are three kingdoms that have, a lot, uh, have allied with themselves to destroy, to annihilate Judah and Jerusalem. And the Bible says they descended into a valley and their purpose was to make war against Judah and against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the Bible says this story is in 2 Chronicles 20. His first reaction was to fear. So these people that say that fear is false evidence that appears real, that's doo-doo. That's not true. Fear can be rooted in real evidence. He didn't have this, this he wasn't like a paranoid schizophrenic where he was seeing things that weren't actually there, that he was hallucinating the three armies. There were three armies there. There were three armies that had allied with one purpose, one mission, to wipe out Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat. So it's not false evidence, it's real evidence. The doctor gives you a real report. So I've said many times, faith is not burying your head into the ground to ignore the facts. Faith is despite the fact I believe in the truth. There's a difference between fact and truth. Something can be factually correct, but not truthful. The fact may be there's a, a problem in your body. There's a tumor in your body. The truth is that by his stripes, you are healed. The fact was there were three armies gathering against Jehoshaphat. His immediate reaction was he feared. The Bible says Jehoshaphat feared, but then he set himself to seek the Lord. He went to find out what God's word said about it. Yeah, I know what they're saying. I know what the report is. I know what the rumors are. I know what the news is saying. I know what the doctor's saying. I know what my accountant said. But let me now go dive into what God said. You people, people say this all the time. We need to seek God. We need to seek God. They don't even have the slightest clue as, what it, as to what it means to seek God. Seeking God isn't closing your eyes and just saying, God, I'm seeking you. That's not what seeking God is. Seeking God is going into his word. God and his word are one. So when you look into God's word, you're seeking God. We have, a, you want to talk about an epidemic or a pandemic? The real pandemic, or rather it's an epidemic because it's spanned far longer than the last 24 months. The real epidemic is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to speak for North America because that's where I live. Being biblically illiterate, being biblically ignorant, being so distant from Bible truths, from not meditating on Bible, Bible truths. And we've been deceived a lot of times. You know, well, you know, I go to church, so I'm seeking God. It's not enough just to go to church, going to church. It's just our, our service to God in that we plug into his work, we get involved to, to his local vision, but seeking God is seeking his word. God said, I and my word are one. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word is God. So in the North American church, we think going to a worship conference is seeking God. Yeah, that's part of it. I'm not gonna say it's not. You can, you know, worship God in spirit and in truth. But notice how Jesus said, those who worship me, those who seek for me will worship how? In spirit. So we've got that down packed in North America. We, you, you advertise the church is having a worship conference and third day is coming or, or hill songs coming or whatever is coming. And you will have a hard time finding an open seat in that sanctuary. But then advertise that there's going to be 
a, a, a Bible teaching seminar or, or just a revival service where minimal worship, it's going to be just preaching the word. And in most churches, you're hard pressed finding anyone that wants to even come. And the church is suffering as a result of it. And the people are suffering as a result of it. Because if there's no Bible truth as the foundation of your faith, you are going to be a playground for worry and fear to dwell in. So when you start to read the word, and like I just said, Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. He, he, he got into God's word. What happened? There was a confidence that came on him. And all of a sudden, the spirit of the Lord came upon Ahaziel, the prophet, and said, if our God is for us, we don't have to fear this great multitude because the Lord will, will fight our battles. And the next day, they had a great victory because they saw, they, they started to get reminded of the great victories of, of, of God over the people of Israel in times past. That's what the word of God does. That's why when you don't know what God has done, you doubt his ability to, to do it today. But when you start to see how great miracles God has done in the past, how he brought Daniel out of a lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of a fiery furnace, out, Israel out of slavery, an Egyptian house of bondage and brought him into a land flowing with milk and honey. How he gave Abraham a child after he was 100 years old and Sarah being 90. How faith strengthened her body to conceive seed. Then doubt, doubting his ability for today becomes an impossibility. You know, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, it says they tested him time and time again in the wilderness. Yea, they doubted the Holy One of Israel. So when you doubt God's ability, you're testing God. You're testing him. And the Bible says, thou shalt not test the Holy One of Israel. And when you start to doubt God's ability, worry settles in. It begins to creep in. And then it begins to compound over and over again until, until, until you've lost your mind. Number four, and this, this is probably not you, but worry is doubted and it is rooted in people's doubting God's very existence, that he's even there. I'm going to remind you what Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God for he that comes to God must believe that God is and that God is a, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the first thing, if you're going to come to God and get rid of worry today, you have to settle in your heart. Either I'm going to believe God is or that he's not. You know, Elijah said in 2 Kings chapter 18, he said, or 1 Kings 18, he said, how long will you all falter between two opinions? How long are you going to jump between two opinions? If Baal is God, follow him. But if the Lord is God, follow him. Elijah was essentially saying, if you don't believe God exists, what are you doing anyways? If you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, you're of all men to be pitied if you continue to live out this Christian life, but you don't actually believe he rose from the dead. Elijah said, if, the, if Baal is God, go after him. But if you believe the Lord is God, then believe him and serve him and follow him. And then he proved that the Lord was God. When he called down fire from heaven, he said, the God that, that 
that answers by fire, let him be God. Baal couldn't provide that. The gods of this world, they're the work of man's hands. They have hands they don't do. They have eyes they can't see. They have ears they can't hear. But the Lord is not like them. He answers by fire. Going back to point three, we can't doubt his ability because he's given us way too much evidence in his word to ever have us doubt his ability and his integrity. He answers by fire. So for worry to flee, these four main doubting points have to be eliminated from your, from your mind. It's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that comes only in Christ Jesus. And to be in Christ, you have to be in faith. And if you're going to continuously just doubt God on these four points, you're not in faith. And so you're not a candidate to receive the peace of God. But I think I've provided enough evidence for you to eliminate these four doubts. You may not have been able to control what, happens to, what happened to you or what is happening to you right now. But you can control what you focus on from this point onward. Let me turn to Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Actually, before we do that, let's do Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. So what I'm about to read, I have it listed in my Bible as heaven's prescription for peace and joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So that's not rejoice when everything's going well, but then if anything goes south, then you, you should el eliminate your ability to rejoice or quit rejoicing. It says always rejoice. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 34, bless the Lord at all times and Always have his praise continually flowing from your mouth. The Bible says in Hebrews 13 that we are to offer up to God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, always giving thanks unto his name. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why do I say that? Because if you lose your joy, you've lost your strength because the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's why Paul said, guard your joy. And don't let your joy be circumstantial based on what you're seeing happening around you. As I said before, you may not have been able to control what's happened to you. But from today, you can control what you focus on. And if you control what you focus on from today, you can actually turn the situation that is unfavorable around you into a favorable situation. You can turn things around. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. So what does it say? Be anxious for some things? Does it say be anxious for, uh, for, for, a, be anxious for a few things? There's a few things you should, you know, no matter what the Word of God says, there's a few things that you should still be anxious and worried about. No, for, for nothing. But in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. What was Jehoshaphat's trick? What was his secret to victory? 
What did God tell the people of Israel to do in 2 Chronicles 20 that gave them the victory so that the three armies that had gathered against them started to beat each other up, started to destroy each other, so that when Judah came to overlook the battlefield, all they saw were dead bodies, nobody escaped, and the only thing that was left for them to do was to take the spoil of war. What produced that turnaround for them? What turned their worry into a great testimony? God said, prepare and position yourselves by setting the, the, uh, the, the, the worship band. Uh, get the worshipers up. Get the sons, of Asa- the sons of Asaph up. Get the ones that will sing praise to me loud and high. And when they began to sing to the Lord and declare his goodness, the Lord set ambush against their enemies. So Paul's saying, you don't get anxious for anything. The reaction a Christian is supposed to have against any opposition is to, number one, get into prayer. And then once you pray about it, you don't continue praying about it. You pray about it once and then move into thanksgiving. Because what did Jesus say in Mark eleven twenty four? He said, if you pray for anything that you desire, believe that you have received it and it will be given to you. So it doesn't say pray about it and believe God will do something in the far future. It says pray about it and now believe that you have it. Well, if you believe that you have it, let me tell you, if, if I said uh, by this time next Tuesday, I'm going to give you a new car. Well, until next Tuesday, uh, you, you can continue asking me for a new car. But if every day I just kept replying to you saying, no, wait till next Tuesday, 8 a.m., it's going to be delivered. I'm going to give you a new car. It's, it's just being processed right now. But 8 a.m. next Tuesday, you're going to have a new car. If you just kept on asking me, hey, I want my new car. I, I, can I have my new car now? I said, 8 a.m. next Tuesday, it's coming. It's on the way. It's literally uh, being exported or imported right now. It's being imported. Don't worry, it's coming. And you just kept saying, no, 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 I, I want the new car. It's coming. You, I, either that person would say, you know what? I'm not giving it to you because you're kind of annoying me right now. Or they're going to say, man, why do you doubt me so much? Why do you doubt my integrity? Why are you doubting my, 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 my willingness to actually follow through, follow through with my promise? And then Tuesday came around and you got the new car. That's how most Christians do it. They put an order for something, they pray about it, and then the entire time, between the moment they pray to the moment they receive what they asked in prayer, they're just worried. Getting their eyes off the promise, getting their eyes off the word, and just continually, God, I need this, I need this. Instead of, after you ask God for something, instead of continually confessing from that moment onward how badly you need it to come through, instead, why don't you try something new and start to lift up your hands and say, God, I thank you that from the moment I opened up my mouth to ask you for this thing, it already got packaged, shipped out, and it's on the way. I thank you that I'm going to take delivery of it. I thank you that I have it now. Though I don't see it with my physical eyes, I know that I have it now by faith. That's what Paul's saying. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer, and then switch on thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God. And what happens when you start to thank God? I'm going to tell you something. If prayer is just you asking God for something over and over and over and over and over again, 
and not believing that the moment you first ask, he actually already, he, he's already got a plan in motion to get that thing to you, that you already have it. Like Daniel, the Bible says when the angel Gabriel came to him, the Gab angel Gabriel said from the very first moment you opened up your mouth to speak, I was sent in response to your prayer. The moment you open, get this, when you open up your mouth to pray and you have scripture backing up your request, the very moment you ask that, God's already sent the answer. If you truly believe that, from today, you're going you're gonna to start thanking God for the answer ahead of time. You don't wait for the walls to fall. You shout and the walls will fall. God said, I'm going to take those walls down. They didn't wait for the walls to fall. Before they started shouting and giving God praise, they in faith began to praise God and thank God for what he was going to do. And the Bible says, what's going to be the byproduct of that? Instead of worrying about your situation now, you're thanking God that he's got it under his, you know, you've done everything. You've obeyed God. You know, you're living right. You're thinking right. And you're prayed right. So now you've done everything in your power. You've done everything that was on your uh, tasks of responsibilities to do. Now, what do we do? We thank God that he's got it under control, that he's, he's, already, he's already moving things in place. And then the byproduct of that is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? People will look at you and say it doesn't make sense that they still have sanity of mind after what, they've go after what I've seen them go through. It doesn't make sense that they still have joy and a smile on their face. It doesn't make sense that they're still serving God on Sunday morning. How is it that they still have their hands raised? How is it, and it's not this superficial that I'm going to lift my hands even though I feel like crap. No, God's going to give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. It surpasses your mind's ability to maintain peace. It is a supernatural flow of peace. God said your peace will flow like a river. It's a river of life. It's a source of peace that the world knows not about. That is God ordained. God, it is God um, produced. Holy Ghost produced. And it guards your heart and your mind from that day onward. Finally, brethren, verse 8. Listen to this. So how do you stay in that peace now? So the worry came. You decided, you know, worry can come. Fear can come. The choice is on your, it's on your end. Whether you decide to entertain that worry, whether you decide to, to, um, to, to feed those fears by continuing to meditate on those fears or you reject. Fear can be rejected. Worry can be rejected. You can stand against fear and worry. You don't have to just let it come in and mess things up in your mind and ruin your day and ruin your joy that day. You can reject, you can stand against, you can, you can uh, oppose it. How do you do that? So you've prayed for the thing, you've given thanks for it, peace of God came on you, 
Do you think that now from, oh, you're never going to have to deal with worry again? You know, you have the peace of God in your mind. You're never going to have to reject fear again. No, it's going to, the devil's going to try time and time again to creep back into your mind. Worry is going to try time and time again. Understand, because you still have your old brain, that's why Paul says we have to renew our minds. That mind is wired to worry. The flesh is wired to worry. The carnal mind is wired to worry. You have to make the choice to reject fear and to stay spiritually minded. Romans 8 says the, the carnal mind is death and, 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 and sorrow. It produces death and sorrow. To be carnally minded produces death. But to be spiritually minded, it produces life and peace, the Bible says. So you have to daily set a guard over your mind and over your heart to reject worry, to reject fear, and to stay in this, this, uh, this spiritual mindset that brings the joy and peace that you want. So Paul tells you in Philippians 4, 8, how to do that, practical application, how you can live worry-free. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just or right, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue or anything that is worthy of praise, meditate on these things. The things which you have learnt and received and you have heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace will continue to be with you. He will be with you. So Paul says, whatever things are true, he gives you this filter by which you are to now pass every thought you have through this filter. And if it doesn't pass the filter, it has no business remaining in your meditational process. Whatever things are true is what you're saying or what you're thinking or the thought that entered your mind is what you're worrying about true. And people worry about a, 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 a plethora of things. People worry about all kinds of things. How am I going to pay my bills? How are my children going to make it in this world? How am I going to afford the rising costs of things and inflation? How am I going to keep my car with the rising costs of gas? You know, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this broadcast. Because I've seen so many Christians worrying about the cost of gas and how they're going to pay, uh, their, their, how they're going to pay their gas, how they're going to get through uh, uh, paying their, their, their uh, transportation to work every day. And they're worried about all these things. Jesus said, don't worry about your life as to what you'll eat, nor about your body as to what you'll put on. Life is more than food. Life is more than clothing. He says, consider the lilies of the valley, of the field, how beautifully adorned they are. And I tell you, Solomon, in all his glory, couldn't even compare to one of those flowers. And you are much more valuable than those flowers that today are and tomorrow are tossed into fire to be burnt. 
He says, how much more will God clothe you? How much more will God take care of you? Man, I feel this is a word for some of you today. You've been worrying about your money. You've been worrying about your finances. You've been worrying about this economy. You've been worrying about the threat of a world war and how and, and doubting God's ability to provide for you. Let me tell you, if God can clothe the lilies that have a, a, a lifespan of several weeks maybe, and the, he clothes them with glory, a glory that Solomon himself the Bible says didn't even have the opportunity or the 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 um the privilege of being adorned in such a way and God closed them that way uh, that way God said will I not much more clothe you O ye of little faith he said the things that dominate the minds of unbelievers is how am I gonna pay that how am I gonna do this how am I gonna get that bill paid how am I gonna support the rising costs of living that's the things Jesus said in, in Matthew six these are the thoughts that dominate the minds of those that do not believe God but as for you seek first the kingdom of God seek first the fulfillment of God's plan on your life seek first by putting your hand to the plow and looking not in a dire the other direction, keep your mind on the author and perfecter of your faith, on what he's called you to do, on what he's tasked you to do. And the Bible says everything else people are worrying about, everything else people are, 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 are drained with, everything else people are being weighed in on and pressed down with, everybody else that is running helter-skelter trying to make sense of what's going on, all those things that they're worried about, not getting and not obtaining and not being able to support the rising cost of living, God said, I'm going to cheaply add it to your account. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it. Do you think God has, 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 has lost his prosperity? Do you think God no longer owns the silver and the gold? Do you think God no longer has the cattle on a thousand hills? Do you think God is lacking bread in heaven? Do you think God has lost control of heaven's economy? Let me tell you, the earth's economy can go flat, but heaven's economy continues to prosper. He's still El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. He's still Jehovah Jireh, the all-sufficient God, the God who provides. He's still the one who, who, who provides for his own. He's still the God who's able to supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. The one who abundantly supplies his priest, the Bible says. He's still the one who can multiply the five bread and the two fish. He's still the one that can satisfy the longing soul. He's still the God who can support his own. So whatever things are true, you're not going to make it in this economy. That ain't true. Bible says very clearly that if you'll serve the Lord your God, he'll command the good storehouse of heaven to be poured out on you. And you'll have such an abundance. Even the heathen's going to look and see that you're a people called by God. That's not just you're doing all right. That's you have unbelievers turning heads towards you and saying, how did, how did that happen? And they'll fear God because of it. Well, the doctor's report came back and it doesn't look good. Is that true? That might be the fact, but is it true? No, the truth is, the Bible says very clearly, he'll take sickness out of your midst. Your children are never going to serve the Lord. 
Because look at them now. They're out partying and doing all that. You prayed for them. You've been praying for them your whole life. And look how that's paid off. Fact is, they might be out in the world now, but what's the truth? You and your house will be saved, the Bible says. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. You've confessed that, and God is too faithful to fail in performing that word for you. So it's not true. Whatever things are noble, you're just a dirty old sinner. Is that noble? To think that way of yourself? No. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're dumb. Nobody likes you. Are those noble thoughts? No, they're not noble. What's noble? Noble means prestigious and classy and elegant and, and high thoughts. Those low thoughts are not heaven, or, uh, heaven originated. Those low thoughts about yourself and that low self-esteem is from the pit of hell. It's the devil trying to, to capture you with, you know, people say humility is People think that humility is just thinking low of yourself and talking, having bad self-talk about yourself. That's not what humility is. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's being others, other-minded, minded of others. It's setting your mind on, on, what, on, on people around you rather than being self-absorbed. That's what humility is. And it's recognizing that God, if I'm anything, it's because of God that I'm anything. So are those thoughts that are bombarding your mind noble? If they're not, they have erased them and replaced them. Erased them and replaced them. I preached a sermon not too long ago on, on how to cast a thought down out of 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. Because the Bible says we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, how do you take a thought captive? One, you identify the source of the thought. Is God giving me this thought, or is it from the devil or from the world? If it's not from God, then I don't want it. Two, after you've identified the source of the thought, you then replace that thought with Scripture. You replace it with God's mind. You know what confession is? The Bible talks a lot about confession. We're to have this confession of our faith. Well, what's confession? In the original Greek, it literally just means to say the same thing. To say the same thing. So when we're talking about confession of God's Word, we're saying the same thing God says about us. So I'm not going to say what the devil's trying to make me to say. I'm going to say the same thing that God says about me. Well, what does God say about me? He doesn't say I'm this old, deprived, wretched, ugly thing. I was that when I was in sin. I've been born again. Now I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen generation. I'm blood bought, blood washed. I'm redeemed. I'm saved. I'm chosen. I'm favored. I'm anointed. I'm healed. I'm whole. I'm restored. I'm brought back to life again. I have dominion. I have authority over unclean spirits. I am above and not beneath. I'm ahead always and never the tail. I'm, I am always on the winning side. I'm an overcomer. I'm more than a conqueror by Christ Jesus. So you replace the thought. And then number three, you form a new confession now based on the, the replacement of truth. It's how you take a thought captive. So if it's not true, if it's not noble, if it's not just or righteous, if it's not pure, I've, there's a lot of people, you, have, you suffer from impure thoughts. Impure thoughts. Whether it be sexual, whether it be uh, uh, um, just thoughts of hatred or jealousy. Of, those are all impure thoughts. Jealousy, constantly bombarded with thoughts of jealousy and envy for what others have. That's covetousness. You're coveting another man's life in silver and gold. 
Be content with such things as you have, the Bible says. Don't covet. Beware of covetousness, for life does not consist in the abundance of things that you have. That's not what life is all about. Stop trying to keep up with the Joneses, because it's creating worry and unnecessary anxiety in you. Because you look around, and if you would just learn to be content and realize, look at the house you live in. Look at the condo you live in. Look in the apartment. At least you have a roof over your head. The, the problem is when you start to covet another man's silver and gold, another man's life, especially if they're Christian, you don't know what they've done to get there. Maybe you're missing some things to get to where they're getting. But now all you're doing is dreaming and focusing on what they have and hoping you can get it. And now you're, you're comparing yourself with them, which is an unwise thing to do. It breeds this ingratitude in you. You're not content any longer. Even though if you would start to remember where you used to be three years ago and four years ago and five years ago, how life was nowhere near where you got it now. You didn't have nearly the amount of income coming in as you do now, but because you're trying to keep up with the guys, he's got a luxury car. He's got a luxury home. He has a garage. I don't even, your people will find anything. He has a garage. I don't have a garage. I need a garage. And so I just, uh, they start saying, I don't like this house. It never had a garage. I'm not happy. We got to learn. We got to move. We got to move. We got to find a new house. We got to, and now your, 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 your driving force for daily living is not to please God. It's how can I get out of this house into another house? Because that person has a garage. I don't have a garage. And then what does that do? It brings you worry. It brings you, it drains you, weighs you down. That's a word for somebody. Stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. Look at what you have and start to thank. You're not qualified for a change of menu until you start to thank God for the menu he's already served you with. You're not qualified for upgrades in life until you thank God for what he's given you up until this point. Because ingratitude will lead you will actually flatten you. Ingratitude is one of the most ugly things to God. Whereas joy and praise and thanksgiving for where you're at will cause God to lift you up. Gratitude leads to a higher altitude in life. Ingratitude will cause you to be flattened in life. Whatever things are pure, lovely, good report. So it says good report. Well, you know, we can't ignore the report. The doctor said... Is it a good report? No. But you want to know where there is a good report? Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? Where is there going to be always and exclusively a good report? No matter what's happening. The word of God. The Bible says, By faith the elders obtained a good report. And those good reports are in the word of God. So the world and, you know, you're going to get reports on a daily basis. You're going to get news on a daily basis. Some of it's going to be good. Some of it's not going to be so good. But the Bible says you're actually to focus on the good reports. There's some people 
They can get 19 pieces of good news on a certain day and then get one piece of bad news and that just drains them. Instead of focusing on the good reports, they get that one piece of bad news and it saps them of joy, drains them. Look at what David did in 1 Samuel 30. He gets the bad report when he comes back from war with his chosen men that the, 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 the people that he was over had been ransacked by the Amalekites and the land was in flames. The woman and the children were taken captive and the people saw what happened and they blamed David and pick up stones to stone David because they blamed him for what happened. Talk about a bad report. David lost his family that day. They all got kidnapped. The pe- his own people turned against him. His house was now in flames. He lost everything. You know what David did? Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. You want to know what he did? I guarantee you, Psalm 27, he started to write that psalm down. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He focused on the good report that because God was his light and God was his salvation, there's absolutely nothing or anybody that he should fear. The Lord is amongst them that help me. Of what shall I be afraid? He's the stronghold of my life. The war comes against me and my enemies encamp all around me. In this I shall be confident for he will hide me in the secret place of his pavilion. He, because he's ever at my right hand, I will never be shaken. I will never be moved. Because the Lord is amongst them that help me, I will see my desire upon my enemies. That's what David did. He strengthened himself in the Lord. So he didn't focus on the bad report. He gazed on the good good report. David Oedepo says it all the time. If you've lost anything, it's because of God. You haven't, if you've lost anything, it's because of God. You haven't lost everything. So start to dwell on the good report. If there's anything praiseworthy, that means reminisce on the the victories of the past. Start to thank God for the times he bailed you out back then. Telling you, when you start doing this, it's very simple to eliminate worry from your life. Instead of focusing on your present situation, begin to remember the past victories and it'll give you strength to deal with the present situation and produce a future victory for you. Meditate on these things. The things which you learned, received, and heard and signed me, these things do. And the God of peace will be with you. Worry cancels out joy. It cancels out joy. Removes joy from people. Physically, it's harmful. Creates high blood pressure. Low blood pressure, hypertension, neck tensions. People have ulcers because they worry. Heart palpitations, panic attacks, they faint. Those are the physical effects of worry. Matter of fact, doctors show you that most people's sicknesses and disease are not necessarily produced by what they eat. Not necessarily produced by genetics. Most people's sicknesses and diseases come from Worry. You worry about it. That's why David said, I will not be afraid of diseases and deadly pestilences. A thousand can die to my side. 10,000 can die all around me. Could be running in my family up until my father. It will not touch me. For the Lord is my refuge. Then there's the mental effects of worry. Isolation. You don't want to be around anybody. 
You're a hermit. Anger. You're quick-tempered. The slightest things stir you up, get you angry. Marriage collapses because that worry is, is uh, expressed or manifest in you being so hot-tempered with your spouse. The moment they bring anything up, it's like uh, you attack them. Because you've got so much weighing on you, the slightest of pressure somebody else puts on you, you then blame them and you start attacking, attacking and targeting them. When in reality, it has nothing to do with the pressure they're putting you. You've got all this pressure in your own heart. Bottling things up, they add a little bit and, and you blow up. Depression. Prone to having no control over fleshly appetites. One thing people that are bombarded with worry do is they escape. They escape to something that makes them feel temporarily good. What is that? Alcohol? Sex? TV? They try to find worldly entertainment. Leonard Ravenhill used to say worldly entertainment is the devil's substitute for divine joy. Worldly entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. So when you don't have divine joy, Holy Ghost joy in you that is inexpressible and full of glory, you try to substitute it with worldly entertainment. And those are all uh, cisterns that have holes in them. What's a cistern? It's what they used to fill. Their, it was a water pot. They used to go to the well and fill it up. Well, when you have a hole in it, you're filling up and you just keep filling it up and keep filling it up and it just keeps passing through these holes in the cisterns and you're never fulfilled. You're never satisfied. That's why Jesus said, I have water that you can drink of that you'll never have to draw water again. The water that you drink of will become in you a spring of everlasting life and you'll be eternally, abundantly satisfied. So when you have worry, the mental effect of it is it drives you to sin. It drives you to get temporary, temporary relief over those things. Also does something even worse than that. Gets people that are in the church, living holy, in Christ, to hide their talents. They don't ever... They don't ever act on God's plan for their life because they're worried that they'll fail. The worry for failure bombards them and paralyzes them from ever stepping out to do anything great for God. What a horrible thing. They step out of the boat and then they look at the, the rains and the torrential downpour around them and they start to sink and then they're drowning in worry and drowning in anxiety and drowning in their thoughts that bombard them. Well, you want to know the good news? Peter stepped out of the boat. He started out good for a little while. When he got his eyes off Jesus, the author and perfecter of his faith, he started to sink. But the good news is, is the moment he cried out to God and said, Lord, help me, I'm sinking. Jesus stretched into that hole, put him back up on his feet, and they walked back to the boat together. And he began to walk on water, water again. If you feel like you're being drowned by worrisome thoughts, you're just one prayer away today. Saying, Jesus, help me. He'll pull you back up. He'll take you out of that horrible pit. He'll put you back in that place 
that the redeemed are the only ones that have the privilege on walking. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, do not fear, I have called you. Be not dismayed, I am yours. And you are mine. I have redeemed you. You're mine. When you walk through the waters, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the rivers, it will not drown you. And though you go through the midst of the fire, it'll never burn you. Nor will you ever even smell like smoke. For I am with you to deliver you. Isaiah 40, I wrote down a few scriptures here that will destroy worry in you today. Exodus 33, 14. My presence will go with you, says the Lord, and I will give you rest. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It is easy, and my burden is light. Learn of me, for I'm humble and meek, and you'll find rest for your souls. Isaiah 26, 3, he will keep in perfect peace those whose eyes are stayed and fixed on him. So that means perfect peace will never come to you if you're double-minded. Focusing on the word one day and then focusing on everything else the next. No, keep your eyes on him. Discipline your mind. I said you couldn't maybe control what happened to you, but you can control what you focus on from today onward. Isaiah 41 verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my right hand of righteousness. Isaiah 43, 1 through 4, fear not, I have redeemed you. You are mine. When you walk through the waters, it will not overflow you. And through the rivers, they will not drown you. And through the fire, will not burn you. John 14, 1 through 2, you believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, 27, the Bible says, The Lord, I will send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you all things and bring to remembrance everything that he's taught you. And then it says that he will give you peace. My peace give I unto thee. Not as the world gives do I give. Therefore let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Psalm 46 says, even if the mountains quake around you and the waters roar all around you, he's still the God who can still the raging waters. He's still the God that can calm the raging storms. He's still the God that even the winds and the waves obey him. All creation is subject to his command. Psalm 23, the Bible says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for his rod and his staff. They comfort me and thou art with me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I will fear no evil. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. Hallelujah. Let me read something. And then I'm going to close and we're going to pray. Luke chapter 11. Listen to this. Luke 11, this is a person in scripture that was worrying. And Jesus not only rebuked her for the worry, but showed her the way out. Now it happened as they went, he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. And she had, called, she had a sister called Mary who, was, who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Take, take note of that. He sat at, she sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that we, my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and anxious about so many things. But one thing is needed. 
And Mary has chosen that good part, which will never be taken from her. I wrote down four. I talked about the four uh, roots of worry in reference to our relationship with God before. Doubting his goodness, doubting his integrity, doubting his ability, and doubting his existence. But now I'm going to talk about the four sources of worry that come from within. And that is number one, distractions. Martha was distracted with much serving. Distractions in life will cause you to feel bombarded. I'm not just talking about the, the major distractions like Netflix and social media and stuff like that. You know, there's actual social media anxiety now that unless you're plugged in to Facebook or Instagram and rolling on your, your newsfeed, that there are people that suffer actual anxiety unless they're on their social media platform and seeing those likes they've got so addicted to the dopamine release that happens when you hit when you see that like that comes in that they have anxiety and worry when they're not seeing that so they're constantly addicted to social media that's a distraction but i'm also talking about the distractions even in your relationship with god you can get so busy working for god that you, that, that you take no time to do what Mary did, which was to sit at Jesus' feet. What does it mean to sit at Jesus' feet? Three things. One, it means fellowship with him. It means prayer. It means communication with God on a daily basis. Be anxious for nothing but by prayer. So the anxiety leaves when you are in a, 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 a life, when you cultivate a lifestyle of prayer. What does it mean to sit at Jesus' feet? Two, learning from him, receiving from his word. Remember, Jesus said um, that, or sorry, the word of God says that Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So she wasn't just sitting. People think that sitting at Jesus' feet is just sitting in their living room with the lights closed and they're just, uh, you know, sitting with their legs crossed and, and just rocking back and forth. That's not sitting at Jesus' feet. Sitting at Jesus' feet is sitting at his word. Learning and receiving from his word. Absorbing his word. Learning from his instructions. Reading what he's told us to do. Reading how he's told us to conduct our lives. And then number three, sitting at Jesus' feet is indeed working for him. Putting your hand to the instructions that he's called us to, to fulfill. So the Bible says she was distracted with so many things... She forgot to do the main thing, Jesus said, the good thing, which was to, to sit at Jesus' feet. Number two, sources of worry, doubting God's care for you. And I said this before, but the Bible says Mary's worry came not only from distraction, but she approached Jesus and said, don't you care that my sister has left me alone? She doubted Jesus' care for her. You know how many Christians there are? That the worry they experience is solely based upon the fact that they think God has abandoned them. That God doesn't care for them. They pray that prayer in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only person that was eligible to pray that prayer was Jesus on the cross. He's the only one God has ever forsaken. But now that you're in Christ, you're accepted in the beloved. He'll never forsake you. He'll never leave you, the Bible says. I am with you always, even unto the ends of the ages. Martha was worried because she said, don't you care that she's left me? 
to serve alone. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, God said. So yes, God cares you. God cares for you. Number three, sources of worry internally is your focus on others. She, Mary, uh, Martha said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Therefore, tell her to help me. She was looking to Mary. Looking to Mary, what she was doing, what was going on in her life. Tell her. You know, when Peter, Peter looked to Jesus when he was about to ascend on high. And this is in the book of John. And it says that uh, Peter looked at Jesus and said, what about John? What about him? What are you going to do with him? Jesus said, it's not for you to know what I do with him. You focus on you. Stop being concerned and focusing on other people's lives. Being obsessed with other people's lives. People that are obsessed with other people's lives are generally too overwhelmed to do anything for their own life. They're too overwhelmed to do anything for their own life. The Bible says it's unwise to compare ourselves amongst each other and to measure ourselves with each other. Stop trying to measure up to other people. Focus on what God's called you to do and do that. And then number four, number four is the cares of life that weigh people down. I said this and I read this on Tuesday's broadcast, Luke 21, 34. Beware lest you be weighed down by carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life. The cares of this life weigh people down. The Bible says that Martha was worried and troubled about many things, but only one thing was needed. The cares of this life. What do I mean by that? You're taking on too many projects. That it's, it's, it's distancing you from God. You don't have any time for any spiritual things anymore. You have no time to plug into God on a daily basis. No time to read His Word. No time. The cares of this life. You're so distracted with uh, buying and selling. And not only that, I'll go on a relationship level. So distracted. Some people, your own relationship. So obsessed with, with wanting to have that spouse, without to get, wanting to get married, wanting to, to have a family and all that. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Those are great things. But they should never outweigh your focus uh, on God and spiritual matters. Those things should come as a result of an overflow of what God's doing internally in you. How you can live worry-free. I hope today's broadcast helped you. If you're here watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus and you're plagued with anxiety and stress, it ain't going to change until you, you join hands with the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He gives a peace that the world can't give you. It's not in alcohol. It's not in drugs. It's not in anywhere else. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. The world can't offer it to you. And once you receive it, the world can't take it from you. Have you ever given your life to Christ? Are your sins forgiven? Is your account settled in heaven? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Are you living for the Lord? Are you living ready for God? Are you maybe worried? And that worry that's in your heart right now, um, a result of current events. And you're not sure if Jesus were to come back whether you're right with him, 
and whether you'd be a candidate, a, a qualified to be taken up in the rapture. Maybe that's where the worry is from. Are you worried about making heaven? That is certainly not a worry you should ever have. After you give your life to Jesus, obviously. It's a worry you should have if you've never done this. If you've never repented of sin and turned your faith towards God, then it is a worry you sh everybody should have. But I don't want you to put your head to the pillow tonight and lose sleep over that. I want you to put your head to the pillow tonight with a knowledge and a promise from God that your sins are forgiven and your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. The way you do that is you receive Christ as Lord and Savior. ABC, admit you're a sinner, believe in Christ and the gospel that God's raised him from the dead and C, commit your life to him and confess him as Lord, confess him as Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, I want you to do that right now. If you have done that, but you've gotten off the tracks and you want to come back on the tracks today, there's no opportune time, no better day, no more acceptable time than here and now. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord. Come live in my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me of all my sin. Empower me to live for you. And from today, I am a new creation. And I'm never looking back. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.